So I want to begin by asking you, how many times have you heard this, the phrase, okay, everybody, wash your hands and come to the table, dinner's ready? Yeah? It's a good thing. We like to hear that, don't we? But it certainly doesn't have anything to do with religion or religious practice. Washing our hands before eating is simply a matter of good health hygiene and because your mother said so, right? That's right. Well, this morning, in our sermon series from the book of Mark, we come to chapter 7, where we find the Pharisees and teachers of the law had decided to come from Jerusalem for the purpose of keeping an eye on Jesus so that they could accuse him of violating Jewish law. And they were concerned and rather envious because of Jesus' popularity. And they were quite unhappy with the way his disciples were not following Jewish tradition, including the ceremonial washing of hands before eating. Now, this ritual had nothing to do with germs. Their effect wasn't discovered by Louise Pasteur until the 19th century. And even then, physicians were reluctant to wash their hands before surgery. They didn't even see the need. Aren't you glad it's not that way today? The Pharisees were not concerned with germs. They were concerned with ritual. They saw the pouring of a small amount of water over the hands of the devoted as symbolically washing away the defilement that came from touching unclean things like Gentiles and non-practicing Jews. They didn't have a relationship with God Almighty, but a religion of do's and don'ts. You see, religion believes that the way to please God is by following a long list of religious rules and regulations to the letter. That's a far cry from a loving relationship with our Heavenly Father that results in the desire to be obedient because we are loved, not so that we'll be loved. When we know God loves us, and he does, we will want to respond to him in obedience. The Pharisees tried to earn God's love and favor by following not only the 613 commandments of the Mosaic law, but the literally thousands of new commandments that were created to clarify the original 613. Can you imagine? Can you imagine trying to remember all of them, much less follow them? You know, while God's commands are certainly to be followed, and they're for our good, the Pharisees had elevated their human regulations and traditions way ahead of the commands of God. Jesus cut straight to the real issue, their need for clean hearts, not just clean hands. We read about this in Mark chapter 7, verses 5 through 8, which is on page 1009 in the Pew Rack Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible, please, please accept one of these as our gift to you. We read in verses 5 through 8. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't you and your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? 
He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. I like the way the message version of the Bible says it. These people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their heart isn't in it. They act like they're worshiping me, but they don't mean it. They use me as a cover for teaching whatever suits their fancy, ditching God's command and taking up the latest fads. Yikes. Is that true of you and me? Are we hypocrites who say we love Jesus, but our lives tell a different story? Do we pretend to worship God, but our minds are elsewhere with no attempt to rein in those stray thoughts that we all have? Do we misuse God's word to excuse sinful behavior since, of course, God will forgive us? Jesus wasn't just speaking to the hypocrites of his day, but to ours as well. I'm reminded of the story of a wandering church member who ran into his pastor one day, and the man said, I guess you've noticed I haven't been coming to church anymore. Well, the reason is because there are so many hypocrites there. And the pastor responded with a smile, Oh, don't let that keep you away. There's always room for one more. May each one of us put away hypocrisy and seek instead to live out what we believe by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Jesus goes on to say in Mark 7, verses 9 through 13, and to give a supporting example of how the Pharisees put their traditions above obeying God's law. They excused themselves from obeying God's command to honor their father and mother by using a hypocritical legal loophole. We read in verses 9 through 13, And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father and mother, Whatever help you might have otherwise had, have received from me as Corban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. You see, some Jews were declaring their money as Corban, or devoted to God, so that It would still belong to them, but not be available for ordinary use. It was just a convenient excuse not to take care of their needy parents. Does anybody else find the term Corbin or devoted to God to be a terrible irony here? It was basically using God as an excuse for not taking care of their parents. 
And Jesus bluntly said they did many things like that. I'm thinking the Pharisees must have been quite offended. Jesus comes back to the immediate issue of eating with unclean hands in verses 14 through 19. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him, They asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Jesus was teaching them and us Far more important than the dirt on our hands or the food that we're eating is the filth that's coming out of our hearts. But wait a minute. If you're thinking that 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 means I can have dirty hands, it doesn't matter. (laughs) You're missing the point. You're missing the point. Jesus was talking about spiritual confusion that made outer rituals more important than the inner cleansing of the heart. Like the crowd and the disciples, we need to learn and be aware that sin is what blocks fellowship with God. Sin that comes from evil desires of the heart is what makes us unclean and separates us from holy God. It's a bit cliche, but it's true. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Can I say that again? The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Matthew 23, 27, and 28 also records Jesus speaking of these matters to the Pharisees. He tells them they look righteous and beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, they're unclean. A good example of this would be if you had left on vacation and came home to find that your refrigerator had died, and all the food inside was decayed, moldy, and stunk to high heaven, what would you do? Close it tightly to keep the smell inside, and then wash and polish the outside? No. No. Cleansing the outside is not going to do anything to alleviate the problem growing on the inside. We do the same thing in our lives. Consider the homemaker who's battling deep depression and is encouraged by a well-meaning friend to just go buy a new dress and you'll feel better. Or a young professional who's dealing with feelings of inadequacy and is told by his boss, just go change your style. Get a new haircut and everything's going to be fine. No. You see... Treating the outside while ignoring the inside gets us nowhere. The only way to change your life is by changing your heart. We all have dark areas of our hearts that need to be opened to the light of Christ. It's too easy to go through the motions of Christianity, going to church and going to Bible study, even prayer, and yet become unwittingly like the Pharisees 
in neglecting justice, rationalizing our own sinful behaviors, and becoming self-righteous people with no concern for those who don't know Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on to say in verses 20 to 23, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these sins come from inside and make a man unclean. Notice. It's not just the acts of sexual immorality, theft, murder, etc. that are evil, but the thoughts that lead to them. That's convicting. I stand before you saying that's convicting. We all need to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5. Don't we all have some sinful habits that we actually enjoy? The type of books we read, movies we watch, too much time spent on our phones and not enough time spent in prayer? Or little white lies, grumbling, gossiping, gluttony? We could go on and on. Unlike the foods that Jesus said didn't make them unclean, consuming these dirty habits makes our hearts unclean. We call them guilty pleasures as if to take the sting out of it, but as if we deserve a few diversions from a pure life. But sin is sin. And we all need to recognize it and deal with it in our lives. As my dad says, You can't put your sins behind you until you face them. Until we confess our sins and determine to turn away from them, sin will stand between us and God, filling our hearts with filth, blocking communication and relationship. Psalm 130 is a cry from the depths of despair for God's mercy In the face of ongoing sin, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Who could stand? We see in these verses a recognition that sin is a problem that will destroy us. What does Romans 3.23 say? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. Not one of us is without guilt. I mean, think about it. Why is it that children have to be taught to be good? Being bad comes naturally. We're all sinners. Some of us more obviously than others, but disobedient sinners Just the same. And the wages of sin? Death. Eternal death. Not just ceasing to exist, but eternal separation from holy God. 
Not one of us would be left standing if God kept a record of our sins rather than blotting them out through the blood of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our only hope is in the mercy and forgiveness of God, which brings us to our big idea for today. Life with Jesus brings the cleansing of our hearts from the stain of sin. Our response to this extravagant love and sacrifice by the very God who created us has to be that of falling on our faces in gratitude and repentance. Let us not postpone seeking Christ like W.C. Fields. How many of you remember W.C. Fields? You're going to show your age by this. Never mind. Okay, he was an American comedian way, way back. And uh, he was an avowed agnostic And he, on his deathbed, was reading the Bible. His friends were surprised and asked him why he was reading a book he didn't believe in. And he responded, I'm looking for loopholes. It's a true story. Let's just hope that W.C. Fields found the truth of Jesus in his reading because there are no loopholes to salvation. The price of our salvation cost God all he had to give. You see, salvation is expensive. It cost God everything. It cost him the death of his son. Likewise, it costs us all we have to give to live a life of faith that is pleasing to God. We must give up the sinful habits that so easily entangle us. But what do we do with those troublesome temptations, sinful habits, ugly thoughts that seem to trip us up over and over again? Now, I'm reminded of a prayer that goes, Dear Lord, I've been very good today. No grumpiness, no swearing, and I haven't been mean at all, but I'm about to get up. And I may need a little more help. Right? Right? Well, first, we must ask the Holy Spirit to help us recognize the sin in our lives. Then immediately confess it to God and, if appropriate, to the person we have wronged. And make restitution if necessary. I've learned to keep a short list with God and confess sin as soon as I recognize it. My daily prayer by necessity is for God to convict me of my sin. It's a prayer we all should make. It may be helpful for us to confide in an accountability partner or a counselor who can help us figure out ways to avoid the traps and flee temptation. Then once we have confessed our sin and determined to turn away from it with the Lord's help, Let's be done with it. Life is too short to spend it dwelling on the sins of the past. Receive God's forgiveness and know that he will hold the sin against you no longer. Look with me at Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. What happiness for those whose guilt has been forgiven. What joys when sins are covered over. What relief 
for those who have confessed their sins and God has cleared their record. Do you see what God does when we admit and confess our sin? He forgives. That means the burden is lifted and joy comes because the sin is covered over with the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. Our sin is no longer held against us and the righteousness of Jesus is credited credited to our account. Instead of justice, we receive mercy. Thomas Hooker, the Puritan pastor who brought his congregation to America and founded what later became the state of Connecticut, was lying on his deathbed. A friend tried to comfort him, saying, you're going to go receive your reward. The pastor, with great wisdom, replied, no. I go to receive mercy. He knew that if we get what we earn, we get hell. Romans 6.23, remember? The wages of sin is death. But praise God for the end of that verse. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, we can't earn heaven. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2.9. Heaven is a destination far beyond what we can even ask or imagine, more glorious than we can even begin to fathom. Oh my goodness, you do not want to miss heaven. Psalm 130 Verse 4 says, but with you, O God, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. We stand in holy fear and awe of a God so great and yet so forgiving. We would be wise not to take this forgiveness lightly and think that it gives us permission to sin. God's mercy pardons sin, but it doesn't protect it or condone it or remove consequences from it. Thomas Watson wrote, mercy is not for them that sin and fear not, but for them that fear and sin not. Let me say it again. Mercy is not for them that sin and fear not but for them that fear and sin not. In Luke 12, we read a frightening warning in verses 2 and 3. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed From the roofs. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine? I mean, does that convict you like it does me? God knows my heart still needs purifying. How about yours? What ongoing hidden habit would you rather not have announced for everyone to hear this morning? What biting or gossipy, 
or sarcastic words have you uttered recently that you would rather not have shouted from the rooftops of the heavenly mansions? Basically, we can't just be a Christian in name only, but in every circumstance and conversation in our lives, we must live for Christ. I don't know about you, but I am immediately prompted to confess the sinner's prayer. Will you say it with me? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, my Savior, have mercy on me, a sinner. A sinner. In closing, the aim of our lives must be a love for God that results in a pure heart and a love for our fellow man. Only the pure in heart will see God, Matthew 5, 8. And ultimately, Purifying our hearts is something only God can do. Yes, we can and must repent of our sin and seek to obey God in our actions, but only he can remove the stain that sin has left on our hearts. That's why he sent his son to pay the price for us, creating clean hearts for those who repent of their sin and believe in him. So, Don't be afraid to admit your sin and receive his love and forgiveness. Thanks be to God, our creator, who spoke through Ezekiel saying, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give to you and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. God promises in these verses to give us a new heart. But we must give the great physician permission to do so by receiving the salvation offered through Jesus Christ. Countless lives have found the beauty of God's mercy in David's words in Psalm 51. May this be our prayer this morning. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. 
So I invite you now to take the next few moments and ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind and convict you of any sin. Confess it. Determine to turn away from it and receive God's forgiveness and love. Will you bow your heads with me?